Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to J.Ill, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, loves. How's everybody doing? Welcome, welcome back to J.Ill, the podcast. You already know I'm sitting here with the lovely Aja Graydon Danzler. That's me, that's me, that's me. <laughs> that's her. And the exquisite liar, St. Clair. Cheerio, 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 good folks. I don't know. We'll find out if that's how no. they speak. I don't <laughs> What's the cheerio about? Say, you hungry? Oh. <laughs> uh, no, the cheerio is because we have a, a woman king in the building, my friend. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listen, you may see her on your TVs as a character, on Bob Hart's Abishola. Honey, she is the co-creator of Bob Hart's Abishola. She is literally the woman king of comedy of Great Britain. It's kind of crazy. Y'all think I'm joking, but no, I'm talking about Gina Yashiri. We can talk about all that. We are in a safe space of Black Brit gayness, and I am here for all of it. I'm I'm here. Not to to forget that she's also the daughter that's right. I'm from royalty, I'm from Benin. I'm from my family is from Benin, where the bronzes it. came from. I am royalty. Yes. God damn it. <laughs> Let's give it a yes. welcome. Thank welcome. you. Welcome. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. It's gotta be something because that energy is just wow. <laughs> I mean, it it shoots through whoever's listening, whoever's looking. <laughs> Have you always been this way? Uh, yes. My mother said in the womb, like, so when my mom was pregnant with me and uh, she, I was born after twins, but so she says she had a bit more room in there and she had a bunch of student doctors walk in the room and they were saying, this is a pregnant woman. She's eight months and blah, blah, blah. And she goes, the doctors couldn't find me because I was off wandering the space 
having a good old time and the doctors couldn't find me. So she was like, from that moment, I knew when you came out, you were going to be crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. And it's like, but the thing about it is that, you know, when Laia was telling us about you and, and about doing comedy, you know, I at the end of the day, I hate this whole idea that women as, as comedians, that we don't get the energy that we should get and that, you know, we have to try so hard to get this to get the label of being yep. funny. And it's just like it just drives me nuts. And I'm just like, man, the fact that you're the queen of comedy and that you're ushering in such a, you know, a, a, a underserved group of, of black women. Bravo and bravo Thank and bravo. That's right, the comedy king, woman king. Yeah, I mean, um, the comedy wise, yeah, it's been hard in this industry, and I've always been like, listen, I'm as funny as any of you, of you dudes. You know, all that rubbish about women are, are women funny. I hate that interview question because I'm like, it's not that women aren't funny; it's there's less of us, and so we get judged a lot more harshly. There's a million mediocre ass men out there, millions, but they don't get judged mm. as hard because there's so many, you know, and that's the difference. Now, Gina, can you tell? Because see, I remember you—you you had a, you came out with a book a year yes. ago about your life, and the beginning of your story. I just want you to share, please, share with Jill and Asia the beginnings of the story of your father and your mother and all the other women. Uh, first, uh, so as I said, my family are from Benin, where the bronzes came from. My grandmother—I'm yes. actually a reincarnation of my grandmother. So Nigerians believe strongly in reincarnation. And my grandmother was one of many wives of a chief. So she was the second wife. There were many more wives. Uh, But she was kind of the favoured wife. And the other wives were very jealous of her. She had a lot of kids. And but she she used to say to my mother uh, all the time when she was a child, when I come back, I'm going to be British. I'm going to speak with a British accent. I'm going to I'm not going to have all of these children. When I come back, I'm going to have a I'm going to live a free life. I'm going to do a man's job. I'm going to do whatever the men do. I will do because I will be as strong as them. And she named all these things that she wanted to do. Now, she ended up dying. She was being she was poisoned by the other jail of wives and she ended up being killed. It's a whole the whole story. That's the first chapter of my book. So she ended up being. But when she died of poisoning, she died with a mark on her throat. And I was born 15 years later. And when I came out the womb, I had this birthmark. And uh, so as soon as I was born, my mother looked down at me and knew. She was like, oh my gosh, my mother has returned. And the whole family rejoiced because they were like, my, our mother has returned through my mum. And uh, my nickname in the family is Granny because uh, my mum calls me Granny because I'm my own grandmother. And uh, basically, I basically turned out exactly as my grandmother said I was. She was going to be. She was like, "I'm not having all these kids, children. I'm going to live a free life. I'm going to be. I'm going to do all the jobs." Because I used to be an engineer before I did comedy. I was an engineer. I built and repaired elevators. So everything that my grandmother said came to pass. I became that person that she is. And every time I've gone to a psychic or a, somebody spiritual, every time they always say the same thing. There's a woman <laughs> guiding you through this life. There's a woman related to you who is following you and guiding your every move. So that's part of the story. And then obviously my both my parents and Nigerian from Benin, they met, they had me uh, in England with all my brothers and sisters. And then obviously in England in the, in the early 60s, very racist. 
my father was a qualified lawyer my mother was a, a head head t- teacher uh, a school principal they came over here as very high achieving people but in england they were like oh you're a lawyer are you you're a head great you can work in the post office and you can write, drive a bus and uh my father was mm-hmm. like i'm not driving a bus i'm a lawyer and let's take our children and go back to nigeria and my mother was like no 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 my children are british I want them to have all the opportunities that being British affords them. I'm staying here in England, even if I have to sacrifice my own career. And my dad was like, oh, okay then. And then he went back to Nigeria and that was the end of that. I never saw him again until I was 38. So basically, if you watch the show, Bob Hart's Abishola, that Abishola story is based on my parents' story, where she ends up in America with her child, raising her child as a single mother and her husband has gone back to Nigeria to be an architect because he was like, I'm not going to be in America uh, doing not doing what I'm qualified to do. So that's the story of me. Wow. <laughs> this is wow. like the most woman king. interesting woman <laughs> from yes. the gate, from the yes. beginning. Yes. From the very yes. beginning. That, that's why wow. it's like all the things, y'all. All the things. That's an amazing origin story. Listen. Yeah, so that's the first chapter of my book. It's called Cat Candid. Uh, It's a memoir and it's literally just come out on paperback recently in England. It's out in America on paperback and hardback. So yeah, I wrote a book and it's a crazy story. I've had a a life. I've had a life. (laughs) And you talk about the things that like a lot of Black Brits, I don't know, it just seems, I think we've had this conversation before too, like, we feel like sometimes things are quiet and like you said what do you call it racism um subtle subtle racism passive subtle it's oh it ain't passive it's just subtle it's death by a thousand cuts racism where you don't even know that you just Mm. got discriminated against they're so clever about it and you know i do a a routine on stage where i say that yeah uh, american racism is in your face but british racism the brits were the architects of racism, the architects, mm. slavery, mm. the yes, European, the way that they just hid it from high society. Mm. Whereas I do, I say that Americans did the equivalent of, you know, breaking into someone's house and keeping the stolen goods in their own house. It was in America, on plantations in America, for every American to see, for everybody to see, it was in your face. Whereas the Brits did it differently. They stole the same amount of black people from Africa, but they put them on plantations in the Caribbean mostly away from polite British mm. society. It was in Jamaica and Trinidad and Barbados and all. So that is where the majority of their filthy deeds were done. So if you went to England in the 1800s and went, hold on a minute, you stole black people. They'd be like, but where? Where is the evidence? I don't know what you're talking about. So they did the equivalent of breaking into someone's house, stealing their goods, but keeping the goods in somebody else's house. So when you come to them, there's no evidence of what they've done so but it's no less heinous you know you know uh, there's been a lot of discussion amongst you know african-american actors saying that british actors playing american uh you know characters you know they haven't had the experiences you know they haven't suffered the levels of racism that we have but that is not the case we've had very black people in in the uk and descendants of slaves in the UK and in, in Europe, France, Germany, Belgium have had very similar experiences. It's just that it's not been publicized. The British and the French and the Portuguese and the Spanish have been much better at hiding it. <laughs> mm. I think mostly, too, that they, they can't necessarily pinpoint 
your your anger mm-hmm. or your quote unquote crazy. Yeah. So, you know, I the argument has always been there, you know, about English actors. And my point of view is that the training is kind of bomb. <laughs> like, honestly, the training is kind of uh, uh, it's not kind of it's next level. Oh, yeah. OK. Oh, yeah. Um, not that not to disregard our, our Juilliard grads mm-hmm. or NYU mm-hmm. grads or or Cornell or or Berkeley. I'm not trying to dismiss that. I'm just saying that's a yeah. that's a lot of schools and that's a lot of, of of really powerful work. I'm just saying that also there's a combination of, of those things that one can't pinpoint you're crazy. You know, can't pinpoint yeah. where your rage comes from, not necessarily because you're we have plantations here in this place, huh? And we could go visit them yeah. and feel the vibes. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. th- these are, are like, same for you, I suppose, that you're... Is it? It's well, a good question, the owners yeah. are on our money yeah. and our streets yeah. and our schools. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, so, we've got, you know, during the Black Lives Matter marches, a lot of statues of slave owners were being ripped down all over England that were still very much there and being revered by the people. So, yeah, we have the similar age. And with the actors, the, the actor thing, just going back to it for a second, you know, how many African-American actors have played Nelson Mandela? You know, we, it, it, it's a reciprocal thing. Well, you know what? But, you know, I think the, I think the argument comes in when we don't know if certain history is being taught over there and there may be a Black Brit playing a Black historical character. Like, that, too, is a whole nother deep argument. Because I always wondered that. I was like... Do they teach our history over there? Do oh, absolutely. I, I mean, to be fair, they don't teach it here. Tis right. true. We, knew who, Tis we true. knew who Harriet Tubman was. I mean, it yeah. doesn't get taught. I think. I think for. I think for me, it's more like. I think for me, it's more that okay. So when people, when black people, people of African descent, all over this this world, right? America has a particular kind of nasty mm. little rule that if you are an African of the diaspora and you come to mm-hmm. America, you get othered in a, in a, in a very specific mm. way that pits you against African Americans. Oh, by design. Listen, and that, that little, that, that piece is, I feel like what fuels this more than any of this other stuff. Yeah. It is the, Classic divide and conquer technique. And the same thing happened in England. When Africans came to England, Mm -hmm. we were pit against Caribbeans, black people from the Caribbean. You know, as a kid growing up, Mm -hmm. I was getting abused, not just by white kids, but other black kids. In fact, I got even more abuse from other black children than white children. The white kids were confused, going, mm-hmm. they look the same. Why are they fighting? They, I don't get it. And I used to get abused by Caribbean because, we, you know, they, they weren't taught proper British history. So at the time, when I was growing up, mm-hmm. the Caribbean kids had no idea that they were descendants of African people who'd been enslaved. They hadn't mm-hmm. been taught that. They thought the black people had originated in the Caribbean. So I'd, I'd have arguments Ooh. with Jamaican kids. I'm going, you came from us. Your people were stolen from Africa, and that's how you ended up in Jamaica. And they'd be like, no, my mean not an African, me a Jamaican. I mean, I know what's that about, me a Jamaican. They weren't taught the history. It wasn't until Roots, the, when mm. Roots came to England, that is only then that they started to realize, oh, 
There's something that we haven't been taught. They had no idea mm. of the history. They didn't Thank know. You, Mr. Haley. No idea. And so I had a lot, I had so many fights in my youth because my mum obviously knew her history. My family were from Benin. So my, my mm. family, yeah. you know, I'm from Nigerian stock. So we, our family were not enslaved. So my mother knew the history. My mother would say, these kids laughing at you and calling you names, it's because they've not been educated properly in England. They don't know their history. They don't know that they are in fact our family that were taken from us. They don't know it. So just don't worry about it. One mm-hmm. day they will learn. You know what I mean? Oh, there had to be a yes. mind screw. Yeah. Come on, mother. Yeah. There mm. had to be a mind screw. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Every day you're fighting your own people. Oh my God, every day. It was crazy. <laughs> well, to be honest, I've heard this same, you know, uh, well, not same, but a similar story with some kids who are first generation in America, whose parents are, are, are from the continent and they come to America and African-American kids are like you African booty oh, snatcher yeah. and saying everything. I mean, this, this is, and it's so bad that that particular insult, it survived a whole generation. Oh yeah. That this same thing that I heard kids call kids when I was, uh, you know, kindergarten in the eighties, they were calling kids when my kids were in kindergarten. I said, now how on oh, earth? Oh, that's because of boys in the hood, though. But yeah. My kids, them kids boys ain't seen no hood. boys in the hood. I got Gen <laughs> Z kids. They ain't seen that movie. Damn. Damn. It's tossed down. Yeah. The fact that that slur, seriously, though, that it survived. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. All crazy. I mean, the yeah. fact that the sentiment has survived. More Real Talk after the break. brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, Somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
Well, I'm here to tell you, definitely proud of you. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. it, it feels like you've had your dukes up the whole time. Oh, yeah. Without, oh, yeah. For, for any young folks, dukes up. That just means you had your fists <laughs> up, you oh, know, yeah. prepared and ready to fight this whole time. But with this level of uh, knowledge, you know who you are. We were talking about genealogy earlier and just the, the privilege and, and power of knowing who you are. Mm. And mm. man, what's your what was your grandmother's name? Patience Obezi. And um, yeah, she's she's been guiding me my entire life. And, you know, I've made history on many occasions. Like when I became an engineer for Otis, I was their first yes. woman engineer in their hundred year history in the UK. Mm. The first ever. Yeah. I mean, it sounds good, but it was it was terrible. I got I can imagine uh, the N word every day at work. I'd come into work, and and these white dudes would hang pictures of monkeys and put banana skins in my oval. They tried to drive me out of the job, and I was like, "No, you're not driving me out. I'm gonna prove that I can do this job better than all of you." And so, yeah, it was a yeah. I I was getting into fights with white dudes every day. In fact, I had to pull a dude aside and go, "If I if you call me nigger one more time, I got two brothers, Dukes up. I will send them to your house." And then he never spoke to me again. <laughs> and then, funny enough, my one of my first ever stand-up shows, he was in the audience. <laughs> so help us, help us walk through. We fixing elevators. We fighting. We're fighting racists. Making, yes. designing, building elevators. Building them. Building them. We're doing this, and then we get to t- to comedy. How? Take us on Power. that. Take us on that pathway. Okay, so obviously I'm from a very academic family, so there was no way my mum was going to let me go into the arts, even though as a kid, used to, you know, teachers used to say to my mum, you know, Gina's, she has a personality, you know, maybe she should get into acting in the arts, you know, I think she could be an actor. And my mum was like, yes, well, she can act like a doctor until she becomes no. a doctor. I and that was, that was the thing. So I was like, yeah, I, I do this joke where I say in an African family, there's only a few choices of career, doctor, lawyer, engineer, accountant, or disgrace to the family. Those are the choices. And uh, I found out quite early that I couldn't stand the sight of blood, so doctor was not gonna happen. So I switched to engineering and I studied in engineering and I, I got my degree in electrical and electronics engineering. And that's how I ended up in engineering as a living. Did I worked at Otis for four years. Uh, I stuck it out as long as I could. And then eventually, because I was the first woman, they didn't know what to do with me. I'd say, well, I'm supposed to get this promotion. I've qualified for this. I've I've jumped through all the hoops and I'm supposed to be this grade. And they'd be like, yeah, but we're, you know, you, if we send you out on your own on this job, you know, the men there won't, they're not going to listen to a girl. So I was supposed to be in a supervisor position, and, you know, and they wouldn't give it to me because they were worried that the guys wouldn't listen to me and all this kind of stuff. So in the end, I was like, well, I'm never going to have the career progression I'm supposed to have. So I, you know, I left. In the mid-90s, the building industry was going through a slump. They were laying people off. I knew they weren't going to lay me off because they had me on the all their magazines and posters going, look at us, we got a black girl. And I'd be like, there with look my tools. just. <laughs> so they were never going to let me go because I was their little poster girl. But I marched into my manager's office and I was like, you're going to let me go. If you don't want me to go public about what has been going on in this company, give me my money, let me bounce. And they were like, all right. So they let me go. And so I decided to take the summer off 
enjoy the summer until it was time to get another engineering job. And it was in that time I decided to try different things. Uh, I joined the Nation of Islam for about 12 minutes. I did that for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Couldn't see that. Okay. You know, I came out of Otis very angry. Very angry at white people. So I was like, I need... I want to learn my history and I need a group of people to feel my pain and Nation of Islam just drew me in. Uh, and then from there, I went off and started doing stuff in the community, um, you know, helping out with, you know, soup kitchens and things like that for black people in the community. And then uh, one day they were doing a fundraiser and they were like, uh, we need poets, singers, dancers for this fundraiser we're doing. And so I wrote, me and two of my friends were always messing around, you know, cracking jokes about our parents. And I wrote what I thought was a play for us to perform. And then we performed this play and it turned out it wasn't a play because people laughed their asses off through the entire thing. And I was like, oh, this is comedy. This is a comedy skit I've written. And so we took that one skit and we kept winning all these talent competitions all around England with this one skit. But the other two girls weren't that serious. And one day we were through to the semi-finals of another talent competition. The other two girls just didn't turn up. They just didn't feel like it that day, whatever, just didn't turn up. And uh, I was there and they were like, you guys are up next. Where's your girls? And I was like, I don't know. I'll just go up on stage and talk for a few minutes and just, you know. And I went up stage on stage and talked for 10 minutes and won that night of the heat and got us through to the finals. So then people were coming up to me and, oh, you don't need those two other girls. You're a stand-up comic. That's what you are. And that's how I discovered stand-up. And then I was like, well, I'll do this for a while, see how it works out. And then, you know, have a little bit of fun over the summer and then get another engineering job at the end of the summer. And I just ended up never going back to engineering. The comedy just kept building and building. And then I was like, you know, people coming up to me and I'll give you 50 bucks to come and do 10 minutes here. And I was like, 50, 50 bucks for 10 minutes? Oh, this is, this is great. And I just never went back. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Everybody always talks about it, how, how the best comedians are like super intelligent. <laughs> well, they have to be, right? The, right. Because you have to come from, you know, have to have a, a real perspective, a grounded yeah. perspective in, in, in what it is mm-hmm. that you're talking about. And, and a vocabulary. And a vocabulary for it. <laughs> and also the imagination to tell the story so that mm-hmm. everybody in your audience can see. But now you got your own TV show that you created. Oh, yeah. So, you know, oh, yes. people are getting an opportunity to see your vision and hear your comedy all the time. I mean. And see oh, West yes. Africans in a different way, too. And yes. see it in an authentic way from a, a West African woman's like boys. Well, that's it. You know, it's it's you know, I, I, I was invited to help Chuck Laurie uh create this show. And I was like, well, if you want my help, here's the thing. You, if I say that African people don't do this, we don't do this. And it's not going in the show. Yeah, you have to listen to me. And and I have to be involved in the casting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that you have your Hollywood beauty ideals, but here's the thing: the actor who's gonna play Abishola is going to be a dark skinned woman and the, no no if no buts it's going to be a dark-skinned woman preferably nigerian but whoever comes for the audition if they got it they got it whether you know and so i i made sure i was always in the room when these black actors came in mm-hmm. so when they came in they'd see me sitting there and their shoulders would just relax immediately mm. because they know they're not going to be asked to do any kind of buffoonery because there's a black woman sitting in the room who has some power 
You know, a lot of the actors afterwards would come up to me and go, I, when we walked into the room and we saw you there, Gina, that's when we knew this show was legit, you know? Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of Black women writers need to understand what it is they have in front of them if this is mm. the trajectory that they want to go on. And just mm. the, the difficulty around telling these stories, because this has been the conversation. Oh, our stories need to be told. Oh, our stories need to be mm-hmm. told. You know, but once you get into that space to be able to tell them, you know, to say, these are the things you need to be saying. I want to be a part of the casting. I want mm. to be, you know, I want to be able to have the last word about these cultural references. I like any yeah. other things like with black writers, black women writers that are listening that they need to, that they need to put their foot down about. I mean, is there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's always difficult because it's been such a hard road for black writers, especially black women writers getting into those rooms. And they're usually kept at a level, you know, they, they'd hire them as staff writers, which is kind of the lowest level of writer. And then they'd let them go. They'd never got the chance to ascend through the ranks. Mm-hmm. So it's always difficult to mm-hmm. have a voice when you're at the lower end of the ranks and knowing that if you speak up in a way that, you know, the white exec producer may feel threatened by you being a little mm-hmm. bit too outspoken or a little too smart and they don't like it, then you know that you're not going to have a job the next season. So I understand the difficulty. It, for me, in a way, it worked out in a way that when I came in, I came in as a co-creator. Mm. I immediately came in as a creator of the show. They were asking me to help them create the show. And because of that, I felt I had the power to speak and I was able to say, this is what's going to happen. Whereas not many of us have had that opportunity. Right. Yeah. And so now I'm trying to make sure that I pull that door open and provide more opportunities for other people. So I've got, you know, I've got other black women writers in the room. I was like, I, you know, I said to them, you, you guys found me, you know, but there are plenty of me's out there. Mm. Mm. Yeah. What did your room look like, Gina? Curious. African-American writers, male and female, my black, young black Nigerian writer. And what I did, I didn't want to scare these white men. So I just went, I'm doing a comedy show. Why don't you come and see me do my comedy show? And then I called my friends who are comedians. I was like, come on the show and open for me. I didn't tell them what it was about. I didn't want them to be nervous. So I said, come, I'm doing this show. I'm headlining. Come and open for me. Mm. They came and opened for me. And then this is how one of our writers, Gloria, got on the show. A friend of mine, stand-up comic, Gloria Bigelow. So I got her to open for me. And then afterwards, uh, two of the exec producers who worked with Chuck were like, we like that woman, Gloria. And I was like, you do? Because she writes too. Hmm. You know what? I see now why you and Laia get along. <laughs> what happened? No, because you think very similarly. Your ideas around putting people in the right places, connecting people who you feel should be connected, who are bringing something into the room. Like this it's, it's like, like a grand orchestrator of, of synergy. You know what I mean? Like, uh, th- and I think that that's an amazing thing to pull into what you do. It's one thing to open up a door, but it's another thing to help to understand how people will be connected to others. It's like, yeah, let me let you tell, let me let her tell her story in front of you so that I don't have to sell it as, hey, I'm a black person here. I want to get other black people in here. You know, I just think that that's amazing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even though you shouldn't have to, but. Literally, that's why I wanted her to come on this show because I was like, I need Gina 
Gina's already has no fear, but I needed her in a super safe black woman space. Like I wanted her in a super safe black woman space. And I wanted y'all to feel this energy and be able to have this, these hard conversations sometimes, you know, for, even from the, the acting conversation to these continental, you know, versus black American conversations. I knew Gina, she has no fear. She literally is the woman king. It feels okay, I'm so good. Like, it, it, it I mean, so I've been good. around a long time. I've been around a long time. It took a lot longer for me to make it because I've I've always known my worth and I've never, you know, I just never compromised. And it took me a lot longer. Then at one point I was like, I'm not even sure it's gonna happen for me, but at least, you know, I I, I don't feel like I've sold my soul in order to do it. And, I, and, and, and when it did eventually happen, I was like, great, now I wanna help other people. I, you know, Chuck Lorre was, cause I was pitching shows featuring my African family for years and nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted it. But it took a wealthy, white, well-known man in the industry to go, I want to make a show with Africans. And then suddenly everybody was like, oh my God, that's a great idea. Let's make a show with Africans. And I'd been pitching this as an African for years and nobody was interested. But I was like, I'm not going to get bitter about that. You know, I'm going to take that opportunity and then I'm going to turn around and try and be that wealthy, well-known white person, man, for other black artists so I'm trying to get as many of us in and, and, and get as many of us working in the industry as possible you know I'd, I'm just trying to do what other people for other people what I wish that someone had been there to do for me do you know what I mean for you yes yeah. it's yeah. interesting that that's the exact same way the number one ladies detective agency happened that, oh, that it was books. a white writer oh yeah and it was a white director Italian of, of authentically mm. not from the United States at all living in England that was like yeah I want to do this story about these beautiful people with these these generous hearts and these intelligent spirits well, I want to find out about these people I want to uh, create the story it, it's like you need that to get the damn door open no matter how many times you pitched and it, it seems like you pitched a lot well, oh, I pitched a lot. And I'm a performer. I can pitch in a room. I'd have these executives laughing and going, oh, my God, this is so great. And then I'd walk out of the room and they'd be like, oh. It's like they did. I've, I've always been ahead of my time is my problem. I've yeah. always been slightly ahead of my time. And I, I'd pitch stuff and go, people go, oh, we don't know what to do. And then five years later, I'd see my ideas being done with somebody else. And I'd be like, I pitched that shit five years ago. So it was always happening to me. So I, it got to a point about five years ago when I was like, you know what? I might be one of those people that after I'm dead, they would go look at my work and go, oh my God, she was brilliant. Why didn't we? And I was like, you know, maybe I'll be one of those people. Maybe I just have to settle for that because I'm always no. slightly ahead of my time. And then Chuck came along and gave me this opportunity and I just grabbed it. And I was like, I'm going to run with this. You know, this might be the only TV show I ever get because, you know, as it is for black women, we do well for one show and then they'll go, thanks for that. See you later. <laughs> and then it doesn't become an, it doesn't lead on to anything else. But I'm hoping it does. I'm hoping to, you know, get some sort of overall deal where I where I can then call my friends and go bring your scripts. I've got this overall deal. Let's bring your scripts. Let's bring your projects. I'll exec produce your projects. Let's get all our stories told. That is what I'm trying to do. That's my next part of the journey, I think. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Look at Shonda Rhimes. Yeah. Look at this woman. The highest paid mm-hmm. writer. Yeah. Of, a producer yeah. in in all of television. Yeah. Yep. 
like the are the doors are 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 beautifully gently opening Very gently. and sometimes you got to stick a foot in a crack at the time <laughs> or a titty you know, you gotta get in there. I've got a toe in. I've got a, I've got a toe in. I don't think I can get the whole foot, but the toe is in there. The toe is in there. <laughs> We're gonna take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World? Like, hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or? get goofy officially step up like a boss and save the day or see what life's like under the tree of life did you if you could would you when we come through it's true magic because we came to play bring the magic at walt disney world resort from bbc radio 4 britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip i thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You know, one of the things I've noticed is that just in general, like Black Brit culture, I see so much more on like social media. I I don't know if it's maybe some mixture of the popularity with like Afrobeats and then some of the artists coming from, from, um, you know, from Britain, but then also even like people who are like, they're like a lot of the hip hop, dancing mm-hmm. actors and but from that Ooh. lens not where mm-hmm. it's like oh i gotta take away my accent or pretend to be american or anything like that i mm-hmm. feel like we're in the middle of a bit of a renaissance with that right now period is that like yeah. is the presence of that do you feel like that's making things a little easier for you or are you more so like look i've been on i'm just happy y'all caught up uh, yeah, I mean, I came to America in 2007. So I've been out here, what, 16, 16 years or something? And when I came out here, people didn't understand. You know, they didn't understand. And then Idris and then all these British actors started blowing up. And they're like, oh, there are black people in England. I just, we thought it was just you. You know, so, <laughs> that, and I think the, with the way the industry is changing, <laughs> streaming, the internet, people making their own content, it's opened the world up in a way that was never open before. 
And so now there's a cross-pollination of cultures. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And so now, you know, I can go into a meeting and go, you know, and talk about my book and go, yeah, I want to make that a serialized thing. And I want it to be like a gritty version of Everybody Hates Chris. Everybody Hates Chris crossed with Michaela Coel's uh, I May Destroy You, you know, that kind yes. of Chris, you know, so whereby yes. I've got a young actor playing myself as a youngster, going through all these things and I'm doing the voiceover, but it's a bit more gritty where I'm going. Yeah, and this is the moment where I decide to punch the bitch in the throat, you know, so it makes yes, it a little yeah. bit... So... And I can have those meetings and people are getting it now because they've seen these other shows and go, and the way that Top Boy is so huge over here, which is a very British, very British show. The language is so British. Like, yeah, man, what are you saying, bro? You know, and Americans are Let me say, my children, my children, literally, I'm like, y'all in this black Brit link, y'all not, y'all from West Philly, calm down. (laughs) Like, my... I can't literally keep up my with daughter says bro so much. I'll be cracking up. It's just like or exactly. she's always saying man, uh man's I forget. She man, the man's them. Man's the man's them. them. Man's them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. And so because this this whole thing is happening, yeah. now I can be in meetings and talk about my Britishness without them going, huh? I don't know. We we don't understand. Um, because now they've seen the shows and they've seen how these shows are doing very well here. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, it's definitely opened a lot more doors. It's a it's a game recognizes game. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a culture mm-hmm. recognizes culture thing, and yeah. it, it makes yeah. me happy because, to be honest, it's like we feed off of one another. You know, what I mean, the yes. fashion, the music, yeah. the dancing, yeah. and yeah. to see it, to get to see it is everything because so much mm. of that again ties us all back to the continent, and it's like it it is the Pan African vision that so many of our foremothers and fathers wanted to see happen. But the fact that it's happening through art, culture, and technology is also mm-hmm. the opposite of what some of these dinos think that we shouldn't be doing. But this revolution mm-hmm. is happening on an artistic level because of these things. It's because Absolutely. of that. So, you know, you you hear, it's unfortunate, you're going to hear some nasty comments from one person or this person, and it, it upsets you. Like, well, why would that person have a platform and then say something foul? You know, Mm. there was, you know, there have been some, you know, black content creators, some actresses, actress, singer types who have said Mm -hmm. some things that are just not cool if we go all feel each other and feed off each other. But Mm. the vast majority, Mm. what I've seen, especially with these young people, is that they Mm. are on it. They are all about that. What's it saying? Yeah, I'm like, y'all want to know Yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm like, who, who? Drop that. No, we don't, we don't drop names, but we. I ain't going to drop okay. no names, but I'm just saying like. Most people will figure it out anyway. All right, just show what they said. Just show what they said. You know what? I, what I'm say? not going to say what they said. I'm not going to even okay. put, what I am going to say is this. I do think, and we talked about this earlier in the podcast, it's a, it's a result of hurt. Mm. It's a result of 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 life experience and not being accepted mm. by other black people who are black just like you, whose descendants mm. are from the same continent as you, mm. that will come out of their mouth and say things and treat you in a certain way. And the clap back is com- is from pain. It's from an exchange mm. of pain. Yeah. I don't even know which side you're talking about attack first on that one. Both ways. That That's both why ways, I said right? I'm not gonna say who it was. I'm gonna say that the activities are happening between yeah. us and that yeah. these young people, as they always do, they come out and they bust everything out of the water and they make it okay. They say, look, yeah. y'all, 
But for our generation, though, we still got some work to do. And I feel like sometimes that comes from conversation. Because uh. remember, we still come from a place where sometimes people would think that others from the other co- from other places would look at us as being lazy. Right. And you know what? Really that wanting. is also a part of the conditioning. You know, when I when my family came to, to England, the Caribbean people had been fed all these Tarzan movies of black people being pr- primitive in Africa and running around and, and cooking white people in pots. So they thought that we were cannibals, mm. that we were mm. primitive, that we were animalistic, that we were violent. And then... On the other hand, <laughs> Africans had been fed these images of African-Americans as being lazy and not working hard and, mm-hmm. and hating, you know. And so mm-hmm. we've been all fed these mistruths about each other. Yeah. So crazy. It's the classic divide and conquer <laughs> technique. It's a class. It They've is. been using the same yep. technique for hundreds yep. and hundreds of years. Same playbook. And it still yep. works. Same playbook. It still it works. works. It works. Well, Listen. the whole time while Jeffrey Dahmer just chowed down. Girl. Chowing down on black chowed people. Chowed down. Unfreaking checked. But yeah, I... I just wish we could one all... One of them escapes and the policeman full- gives him back to him. This is the, the privilege. Mm, that's why I said I just wish we could all just take a class trip to the Blacksonian and just stay in the basement for mm. a minute. Let's just all sit yeah. in the basement and just, just get the knowledge. That's all I'm saying. Just... I'm going to say this, you know, I actually always hate this question just because I know that Mm -hmm. your life is your influence. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I can't and forgive me. And this might be this is crazy, but I can't pinpoint in my mind and not saying that that's specifically who would influence you. But like I can't pinpoint in my mind a black woman, British comedian that I could think, oh, yeah, that person must have influenced you. Because it's Gina. She's the first. She's why she's the woman king. But that's what I'm saying. So I need to understand, like, who are your who are your influences? You know what I mean? And I hate that it's, question, but it's I'm curious. I mean, there were black women comedians who came before me. I'm yes. the first one that kind of crossed over was like, I'm just going to perform to whoever I'm not going to change a thing about myself because it was very segregated in England as it is here when I yeah. came to America I was like there's the urban comedy right. and there's and I was like comedy's comedy if you're funny you should be able to make anybody laugh yes when I go in front of my people my black audience then I have specific things I talk about our shared experiences <laughs> right and I will touch on that and I like to, but I also come and I'll tell white people about this and go you don't know this but this is you know so I've never changed a lot about myself. So, but there are there are other black women. There's a comedian called Angela Ma who was going before when I started. But funny enough, because I never saw comedy as a career. Yeah. I was an engineer and I fell into comedy by accident. And then when I started doing comedy, I didn't want to go back and watch too much comedy because I didn't want um I didn't want to be influenced. You know, because you watch some comedians and go, Yeah, I know that joke. I see you, you watched a lot of Richard Pryor because I can see, oh, I can see Martin Lawrence was your favorite comedian because I see you. I didn't want that. So I didn't watch a lot of comedy because I was like, I want to keep what is quintessentially Gina. I don't want anybody to watch me and go, oh yeah, she she watched a lot of Whoopi Goldberg or or she loves a bit of Wonder Sykes. You can see it in her act. So I never watched a lot. So I didn't have influences as such because yeah. I try to be very myself and be in my own lane so I've not watched a lot of comedy like you know some comedians have an encyclopedic knowledge of comedy yeah I do not so so they the don't. Netflix special 
quintessentially mm-hmm. Gina. <laughs> I just the one throw this. That's a good one. Yeah. I just want to throw that on out now. <laughs> take that, take that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay. I love that, Joe. I love that. <laughs> Listen, there's times when I, I speak for for all of us. Sis. Yes. You get it, Jill? You get I, mean, it? I, I hope mm-hmm, that everybody mm-hmm. that's listening, you feel invigorated. Mm-hmm. I hope that you you want to find out about yourself, like your the history of yourself, of your folks. Mm-hmm. I hope you pay attention mm-hmm. to your ancestors that are guiding and moving through you right now, right in this moment, because mm-hmm. it's real, mm-hmm. baby. Mm-hmm. It's real. It's not a game, yes, okay? <laughs> and the fact that this woman, Gina, you, you don't play around. <laughs> You said, I'm going to do, I'm going to do everything that I want to do. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it boldly and quintessentially myself. Bravo. Okay. And you're going to add the gay black woman to it? I just can't. Much more power, much more success. Are you, do you feel joyful? I, you know what? I do. I'm enjoying life. I've had to learn because I'm super competitive and I'm always, you know, I, I had to learn to, to feel the joy and enjoy my, the experience of what I'm doing in life and not, I had to learn to put blinkers on and just look forward and go, enjoy what you're doing. Don't look at other people and go, well, why have they got that? I'm dead and dead. I should have, because I spent a lot of time doing that because I was very competitive. And the day that I stopped doing that and just went, Gina, you're doing something for a living that you love doing. You're living your best life. Stop worrying about what this person's got and why haven't you got it when you're better. Just enjoy your own journey. And the moment I started doing that, I feel like the universe cracked open and more abundance came to me. So every once in a while, I find myself doing it. You know, you can't help it. In the days of social media, you're on Instagram going, well, they're doing what? Well, I should. And then I have to stop myself and go, Gina, you're doing great right now. You're living your best life. 10 years ago, you would have dreamed to have what you have now. Enjoy it. So I have to remind myself every once in a while, but I really do. I'm enjoying life right now. I don't know. how. Nobody knows. T- tomorrow's not promised. Nobody knows and w- how long you've got left. Tomorrow I might not wake up, but yeah. I'm going to enjoy every moment up until that point. I love this. I love this. <laughs> I don't I don't know how to say Helen's last name, quite frankly. I was probably Williams at this time, but Pharrell Williams, his wife, Mm -hmm. um, Helen, Mm. I I saw her recently and it was it was a beautiful moment. Just we were Mm -hmm. in Paris on a on a balcony looking out over Paris. It was just like fly. And she Mm -hmm. said this. She said, our grass is green as fuck. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? Yeah, it is. Pay attention to your own grass, baby. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that, that shade of green is Ooh. unlike, you know, anybody mm-hmm. else's. Don't even worry about what shade of green theirs is. Our grass mm-hmm. is green as fuck. For green having fuck. me today, it has been a privilege for real, for real. Oh, so proud you. of you. Thank you. Yes, yes. I want to come. Going. I've seen you in concert many times. I, I tried to get tickets for you at the bowl. That shit sold out so quick. It, so it, next it time did. you come to LA, 
Uh, just drop me a little text before you release the, the announcement so I can get in there quick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just give me a little text. Just go, I'm coming in. Let me know, Book Mama. Tickets. Let, just let me uh, know listen. if you want to come. You're more than welcome. Listen, don't say that. I'm saying it. Don't say Don't just say I'm it because I will be it. there. I'll be there. Don't say <laughs> it. Dina, if she, if she says she mean it, and then I can sneak in on your coattails because I live in LA too. So no, we're going to listen. Listen, I don't have any comp tickets anymore. They don't exist. So I have I donation don't care. I will tickets. Pay. I, I have no interest in comp. I wanted to I'm just pay. Telling you. But there was none. No. None. Thank you, Lord. I was like, oh my God, you'll stop. Gone. Nothing. I don't need comps. Just tell me. Just give me a little heads up. Just say, they're going to be on sale tomorrow. Here's a little sneaky link. Thank so you can get in there. <laughs> That's you. all I want. I, I like to pay and support my, my family. I like to pay. Then we just had this conversation, y'all. Yeah, we just had this conversation about being supportive yeah. of one another. I appreciate yeah, that, no. but Gina, for real, for real, um, holla at your girl. Um, I'll get your number from Laia. You're more than welcome. Thank I'm you. super proud of you. Bravo. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, patience. Thank you so much. <laughs> hey, patience. Thank you, patience. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know where she is, but she's here somewhere. Thank you. I uh, thank you, Grandma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we thank you. Yes. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Our grass is green as fuck. Mm. Can we just take a salah for that and just soak in that wisdom? Hey, J.L fam. It's Amber, the producer here. Gina is fascinating, like truly fascinating, and we all need more of her energy. I hope this episode left you with the inspiration to boldly be yourself in every way and to remember how dynamic you are and how dynamic we all are. I mean, an engineer and a comedian? Like, what? (laughs) There are so many lives to live in this lifetime, and I hope you embrace all of yours. And uh, let's add some more Gina to our lives. I will leave a link to get tickets to her show in the show notes. Go see our good sis, get a laugh in, and get inspired. For more Gina content, be sure to check out Bob Loves Abasola on CBS and her comedy specials streaming on Netflix. Love ya. Yeah. 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 Hi, if you have comments on something we said in this episode, call 866-HEY-JILL. If you want to add to this conversation, that's 866-439-5455. Don't forget to tell us your name and the episode you're referring to. You might just hear your message on a future episode. Thank you for listening to Jill Scott Presents J.Ill, the podcast. J.Ill is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. 
because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.